Well, listen, uh, today, this weekend, Pastor Sean is with his family, finally able to secure a week away on vacation, so they are enjoying a much-needed week of rest and relaxation and fun together. And uh, I'm Aaron Poor. I'm the associate pastor here, uh, so I'm going to be speaking today. But listen, if you have ever been through our Discover the Journey class, uh, it's the class that everybody takes when they make a decision that says, hey, I'm a part of this church, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my name down, I'm committed. You go through the Discover the Journey class. If you've been through that class, then you've heard Pastor Sean tell the story of how this church came to be. And uh, it's kind of interesting because back in 2006, when this church was born, launched, whatever verb you want to use there, uh, we didn't have a uh, church planting organization that, ba that backed us up. We didn't have a bigger church somewhere that bankrolled us uh, or anything like that. We just literally heard God say, I want you to start a church. And we drove down to the greater Kansas City metro area and we just started driving around and we heard God say, start a church in the Liberty area. And so it's kind of funny if you look back to those days because we didn't know anybody here. We didn't have any church connections here. Uh, we all lived up north. Um, none of us lived here. And we just rented out a room in the community center and started having services. And at one point, uh, we were getting ready to start church. And of course, nobody came. <laughs> because I, I, and I, uh, Pastor Sean and I were outside praying before we started. And I said, you know, I don't know why we think anybody's going to come because nobody actually knows we're here. And uh, so it, we had a really inauspicious beginning. And of course, during that time, like I said, there was nobody was writing checks or, or bankrolling us or, or supporting us. So there was, no, there was no paychecks being written. So we all had to work, you know, other jobs and then build this church uh, as we were able to. And uh, the thing that I was doing during that time to put food on our table and pay our bills was for a couple years, I worked as a detention officer in a county jail. And it was a really interesting job, as you can imagine. Um, some of the cliches you might think about that type of a job or that type of an environment are true, and some of them are not accurate at all. But it was a job of extremes. So there would be extreme excitement at times, there'd be extreme boredom at times, sometimes there'd be extreme anger and hostility. Sometimes there'd be extreme humor. But during that time of working there, I got to know some of the uh, guests, extended stay guests, uh, really well. And I, I got to hear some of their stories and I got to, to, to know what was going on in their life. And of course, working at a place like that isn't really like, you know, an official, it wasn't like I was a chaplain or something, so it wasn't like they gave me a pulpit to share the gospel. But how many of you guys know that if you follow Jesus, you're in full-time ministry, and if you just look, God will provide opportunities for you to share his love, his hope, his grace. And so those things, those times happened, those opportunities happened. But I made uh, a number of observations about what it's like to be a prisoner, what it's like to be an inmate. And I started seeing these reoccurring things uh, from one person to the next. And then as the church grew and we were all able to kind of gradually step more and more into ministry functions and kind of work away from uh, you know, outside jobs and do, do this more full time, I began to step more into a pastoral type role, meeting with people more often, counseling with people, hearing about what's going on in people's lives. And I, I came to this realization one day, I'm still talking to inmates. 
I'm still talking to people that are incarcerated, people that are in jail, people that long for freedom but don't have it. And, you know, it kind of dawned on me, maybe this is an obvious thing to some people, but it kind of dawned on me that there can be a physical jail with a physical cell, but there can also be mental, emotional, and spiritual jails that people live in. And they're just as real. They are just as real. And the thing is, is that you may be aware that you live in this place of restricted freedom, or you may not be aware. I've been there, and I wasn't aware until the Lord revealed it to me that that's where I was at. And so here's what I want to do today. I just want to ask something of you while we do this. Let's make it participatory. As we look into this a little bit today, and and we're not going to, this isn't going to take a really long time or anything. This isn't like one of my typical messages. But as we, as we look at this, uh, I want to just ask you, I want you to search your heart, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and reveal to you if there's any area of your life that is in jail, that's incarcerated, where you are lacking freedom, where you need freedom, where you should have freedom. I just want you to, as we look at this, as we examine what this looks like and what keeps us in that place, don't think about, oh yeah, I know this, I know a guy, this applies to him. No, I want you to think about you and just ask the Lord to reveal to you, is this true of me? And maybe it's not, but I'm just gonna tell you, it was of me and I didn't know it and I wasn't aware of it until God showed it to me. So I wanna ask you to do the same thing. In fact, let's just pray right now. Father, as we look at this, as we look at this uh, situation, scenario that can happen in people's lives, and as we look at your word and what it says, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to everyone here whether or not there's an area of their life where they need freedom. Because we know, Lord, that it's your will that we be free, free, free indeed. And so, Father, I pray that anybody that has walked in here today that is not experiencing liberty and freedom in Jesus would walk out of here free. In the name of Jesus, amen. So one of the common things for almost every prisoner is that they desire freedom, that they want freedom. You know, their life has become a rectangular, drab room, you know, and they have a a little window where they can look outside and they dream about the day that they can be back with people that they love in society, back to some form of normalcy. And I believe that if you are in one of those other kinds of jails, that's not a physical jail, I believe there's a part of you that desires freedom. And so, but here's the thing. And I saw this, I saw this a lot. Even if a prisoner is set free, not all prisoners learn how to stay free. That's true. And uh, we saw that at, when I worked at the jail, we saw a lot of people, they, we kind of referred to them as the regulars. And like I said, I would get to know a lot of these people and I'd know their story. And as their release date would, um, would approach, I'd get excited for them. And, and, and I'd start thinking, oh man, I can't. It's gonna be so awesome. He gets to leave this place. He gets to go back and see his kids again. He gets to return to some form of normalcy and I would get excited for these people. And then they would have their last day and they'd be released and I'd joke around with them and, you know, say, I bet I don't ever want to see you again, you know? And a couple months later, they'd be coming right back in again. And uh, a lot of times, some of the guys that 
had worked there for a long time, they would kind of call it, predict it, you know. Oh, yeah, he'll be back. And I'd be, what do you mean he's going to be back? He hates this place. He loves his kids. He loves his family. Why would he ever come? And he's like, nope, he'll be back. He's a regular. And so there were people that even though they, they yearned for freedom, they longed to be free, when they experienced freedom, they didn't know how to keep it. They didn't know how to stay free. So here's the first little check for yourself between you and God, right? Ask yourself, do I have an area where I want to be free? Do I have an area that I have struggled with? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a way of thinking. Maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's believing lies about yourself. Do you have something that you want to be free from, but you keep getting just drawn back into it, right? You, you experience and taste a little bit of freedom, and then before long, you find yourself right back where you don't want to be. Even prisoners, when they experience freedom, not all learn how to stay free. And then there's another category that I want to talk about just for a second. And this is a more scary category. This is a more uh, alarming type of prisoner inmate. And that's the, the prisoner that actually fears freedom. They fear freedom. And I saw this. Um, not many, but ever so often, there would be someone who is an inmate that as their release date would approach, they would begin to get argumentative and combative and say, no, I'm not supposed to be released right yet. No, it's, it's further down the road. No, I'm not supposed to be set free yet. And they would, you could see that anxiety would start building up in them, and they would really, they would fight to stay in jail. And it's like, how could that, why would that, why would anybody want to be in jail, right? But the thing is, if you've been there long enough, if you've spent enough time there, and if you've actually spent more time there than outside, then it starts to become home. And the scary thing, the terrifying thing is when you start realizing that the dimensions of your comfort zone are the same dimensions as your jail cell. And this is possible to happen in a mental jail, an emotional jail, a spiritual jail. When you have for so long lived in this bondage, right? When you have been a slave for so long, you eventually forget what freedom tastes like. You forget what, you, what you're missing. And that jail cell becomes your new normal. By the way, I hate that term, new normal. Back in April, you know, you heard that all the time. You know, we're wearing the masks, this is the new normal, we're locking down, we're quarantining, this is the new normal. It's like, please do not tell me that's the new normal. That's not my new normal. But when you can be in jail for so long, you can be in a jail of a habit or an addiction or lies or whatever the case may be for so long that it becomes a part of your life and you forget what freedom tastes like. And that's a crime because Jesus paid for your freedom. He purchased it at a very high price. And you are supposed to be free. So there, there are antidotes to not being able to stay free. There are antidotes to fearing freedom. And we're going to look at what those are. And I will tell you this real quick. If you fear freedom, or if you've forgotten what freedom tastes like, in, the, in that certain area of your life? The answer is really simple. Psalms 34 talks about how we should taste and see that the Lord is good. What does that mean? That means that the experience that you lack, uh, the freedom that you lack needs to be experienced, not just talked about, not just read about in a book, not just hearing a sermon about it, like you are right now, but you need to actually experience it. You need to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
that there is a freedom that you're supposed to experience. And so we're going to do that today. So we've kind of looked at what it might look like to be a prisoner, you know, if you're not experiencing freedom in some area of your life, then you long for a freedom. And even if you are set free, there are some who don't know how to stay free. And then there's even some people who fear freedom. But if you have identified yourself in any one of those categories, if, if you sense that the Lord is starting to reveal an area of your heart or your thinking that is locked up and is in bondage, then I want to identify um, what it is that's keeping us in chains. Because if we can identify where the problem is, we can break those chains and you can go free. Is that a good thing? It's a good thing. So what or who, what or who is keeping you from being free? Let's call them your prison guards, okay? And I want to look at three things. There could be more, but I think that these three categories pretty much catches everything. And the first one is the really big one. The first one's the strongest of the prison guards, the biggest one, the scariest looking one. And it's lies. It's lies. And you might think, I don't think that's the worst thing because it's just a lie. I can just choose to not believe a lie. It's a lot more sinister than it may sound. I want you to think about this. Think about what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Think about what actually happened, right? I think sometimes we relegate the cross to now we get to go to heaven. A lot more happened than just punching our ticket to heaven. When Jesus went to the cross and when Jesus rose from the dead and left that tomb empty, all of the power of the enemy was taken away. At the cross, at the empty tomb, the devil was disarmed, disabled, defeated, and doomed. Disarmed, disabled, defeated, and doomed. Any power that he may have had prior to that was taken away. You know, the devil would love to kill you, wouldn't he? But you're right here. He can't. He would love to destroy your life. He doesn't have the power to do that. He basically has one option. He has one weapon that's available to him, and that's lies. That's it. That's, all, that's what he's got. And on top of that, if you belong to Jesus, his lies have no power over you. They are powerless. It's like a gun without bullets. It's like an empty threat. His lies have no power over you. But they can have power. They can have power. We empower the enemy's lies when we give attention to them. We give power to the devil's lies in our life when we stop and we think about it and we wonder about it and we give a little bit of a place to it possibly being true and we don't immediately put our hand up and say, no, that's a lie. Like it says in the Bible, I take that thought captive. I cast down that imagination in Jesus' name. I don't receive that. If we don't do that and we give place to it, right? The Bible says don't give any place to the devil. Then we actually empower those lies that are meant to be weapons against us. Um, and this is where the devil puts all of his time and all of his effort into crafting lies that he uses against you. Now, remember, I said this is the big one. This is the big one. The devil does not flippantly, randomly just toss a lie your way. And listen, I want you to hear, please hear me on this. I am not giving him any glory at all. He doesn't deserve any glory. He's not going to get any. But I do want to tell you accurately what's going on 
so that you can know accurately how to respond. He watches you, he takes notes, and he carefully crafts a lie that is fed to you gradually over time until you begin to believe it came from you. Because if you believe you, it came from you, then you will receive it, you'll accept it, and you will empower it. And this is what happens. Uh, if he can get you to believe his lie, then he can trick you into placing yourself in his jail cell and handing him the keys. Think how wrong that is. We're not supposed to be in bondage. He's not supposed to have the power to put us in bondage, but he can trick us into doing it ourselves. It's kind of like that story. You've, I know you've heard the story. I think Pastor Sean's even shared it before. But it's like the story of the, the big, powerful elephant in the carnival yard, right? That's tied down just with a, with a little rope around its ankle and a, and a stake in the ground. And somebody's like, how could this huge, powerful beast be restrained by a rope around its ankle and a stake in the ground. And they were told that when the elephant was young and weak, that that rope actually did restrain him. And he tried to get free, and he couldn't get free. But then as he grew and got bigger and stronger and more powerful, he just believed that that rope was able to restrain him, and he never tried to get free. And so... This is a really accurate example of how these lies work in our life. We convince ourselves to believe a lie uh, that we can't be free. Now, as far as what a lie looks like in your life, I'm going to tell you this. The devil's favorite topic to craft a lie is with your identity. That's his favorite thing to lie to you about. And there's a reason for that. He, he loves to attack who you are. That's not to say he won't attack other things, but he loves to attack who you are. He needs to attack who you are. He needs to attack who you are because he is afraid of who you are. This is the truth. He's afraid of who you are. He's going to attack your identity because your identity causes him stress and anxiety and fear and worry. And he's not going to waste his time attacking some part of your life that he's not worried about. He's going to go straight for the part of you that concerns him the most. I was talking with somebody about a month ago about this whole subject. And I had this little bit of just revelation drop in and saw this in a way that I'd never quite seen it before. And it's a really pivotal truth. And this pivotal truth is this. The nature of the enemy's lie will often reveal the nature of the enemy's fear. Have you ever thought that the enemy that we're talking about is capable of being afraid, is capable of being stressed out, is capable of worrying, of being weary or tired. Think about the time when Jesus gets off the boat with his disciples and this crazy guy runs up to him, right? You know, you read about the Bible story of the Gadarean demoniac, right? And what does this guy say? It's not actually him talking. It's these demons within him. And they talk to Jesus. What do they say? What have you to do with us, you son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? What's happening? They are freaking out. They are panicking. They are in fear. They're in anxiety. The enemy is capable of all these things. I'm saying that to you for this reason. When he looks at your life, this is a really big deal for some people in this room right now. When he looks at your life, he sees a potential that frightens him. He sees the trajectory that you're on. He sees how God is beginning to use your life. He sees pieces coming together that spell danger and disaster for him. 
and it causes him fear. Think about this. The Bible says that Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus came into this world was to destroy the works of the devil, right? And Jesus said to his disciples, that includes us here in this room, that the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these. So it would follow, if we're using logic here, that part of our purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. And we do that, and we see that happen. Hey, we saw that happen last night, Saturday night service. People got free, and it's going to happen today too. But the nature of the enemy's lie will reveal the nature of the enemy's fear. And he wants to lie to you about who you are. He will attack, he will lie to you and attack the area that he worries the most about your future. So if you're hearing a lot of lies, and some of you right now may just be beginning to recognize uh, that some of the thoughts that have been going through your head are lies, are strategic lies from the enemy to derail some part of your life. If you're hearing lies about your marriage, let me suggest that the enemy has fear for what your marriage can become. If you're hearing lies about your identity or your purpose, let me suggest that the enemy is afraid of your purpose. It spells disaster and danger for him on some level. And so he is going to attack that thing that worries him and concerns him. Here's the good news. He really does not have the, he doesn't have a say-so in the issue. All he can do is try to trick you into believing his lies. But John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's the beautiful, wonderful thing about this whole scenario. Yes, the enemy wants to lie to you. Yes, you, you can, if you choose to, empower his lies and they can become a very serious, powerful threat in your life. But that does not have to happen. And if you fill yourself with truth, if you fill yourself with the word of God, if you spend time seriously reading God's word, sitting there with a journal, writing things down as you see things that jump out to you, if you, if you spend your time and invest your time in the secret place of God's presence, you will fill yourself so much with truth that no lie has a place to lodge in you. And then the only weapon that the enemy has against you is completely powerless at that point. And all he can do is sit there and helplessly watch while God uses you to destroy his kingdom. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's not poetic justice. That's kingdom justice. That's part of the reason why we're here is to destroy the works of the devil. So I said the big one was lies, and it is. There are two other categories I want to look at real quick. This won't take very long. The second one is wrong habits and wrong mindsets. Wrong habits or wrong mindsets, wrong habits. Mindsets and habits are things that we acquire over time. Uh, sometimes over a long, long, long stretch of time. And there are many people who maybe they were raised in a bad home environment and have made a pledge and a promise. I will never do that. I will never treat my kids that way. I will never get drawn into that addiction. I will never get that habit in my life. And yet, they find themselves struggling with that very specific thing in their own life. It's because we can have a wrong habit a wrong mindset that burns a pattern into our thinking, into our behavior, uh, that is very hard to break free from. Um, but there is an antidote to it. Any of these things that keep us in jail, there's a, there's a, there's a key to unlock that lock. And, the, and the, the antidote here is very simple. It's predictable. You might even have figured this out. But the antidote, if we have a wrong mindset, if we have a wrong way of thinking, 
the antidote is a renewed mind. I would say probably every time Pastor Sean asks me to speak, I figure out some way to get Romans 12.2 into the message, regardless of what the topic is. And here it is for this one. Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We are supposed to be going through a transformation process, right? When you gave your life to Jesus, new life was created, the old died, new was born, but you begin, just like a newborn baby, you begin to grow at that point. You're not born a full-grown adult. You're born an infant and you grow. And we are supposed to be going through a maturing process. And the way that that happens, according to Romans 12, verse 2, is through the renewal of our mind. And if you, again, it's the same uh, prescription to getting free from lies. If you will fill yourself up with the word of God, and if you will spend time in the secret place of God's presence, your mind will be renewed Over time, it's not something that happens instantaneous. It's a process, but your mind will be renewed. And those wrong habits, those wrong mindsets, those behaviors that you vowed, I would never do that, they begin to work their way out of your thinking because your thinking is actually, it's not reformed. It's not reformed, it's renewed. It's new thinking. It's not not fixed up old thinking. It's new thinking. And so that old stuff goes away with the old thinking. Now, the third one, the third jail keeper, prison guard, is a tricky one. It's isolation. <clears throat> Here's why it's a tricky one. Isolation is actually a magnifier of the first two, okay? So let's say you have a lie that's active in your life. Okay, um, kind of think about it like this. You know, it's like uh, there can be like a virus that you have, like what, like chickenpox, I think is this way, where it can just kind of, you know, go around dormant in your body, but then it can be active in your life, and then all of a sudden you're sick. You can have an active lie that is currently causing you grief. Let's say, just hypothetically, let's just say the lie is, well, nobody likes me at that church. I'm just, nobody appreciates me. Nobody cares about me. I'm just, I'm just a nobody. And, I, you know, I don't fit in and nobody likes me. Well, that's a lie, okay? Regardless of your situation, I guarantee you, no matter what your situation looks like, the nature of that thought is a lie. But it's maybe operating at one level, and then you decide to remove yourself, okay? You remove yourself from connection, from community, from fellowship. When that happens, that lie takes on new life. It becomes magnified. It becomes multiplied. It becomes many times stronger than it was before when you have pulled yourself out of connection with others, community, and fellowship with brothers and sisters. And here's why. This, is, this isn't just my opinion. We are made, created, designed to be fit together as a body. This is clearly what the Bible says. We are supposed to be connected as the body of Christ. And I've said this, if you've ever been to one of our Discover the Journey classes, you'll hear me always say this. There are some aspects of the nature of God that we will never experience apart from connection, connections with others, apart from community. There are some parts of God's goodness that only are revealed through others. And if you become a lone ranger, you cut yourself off and you isolate yourself, you never see those things. You just don't because it doesn't work that way. We were designed to draw strength from each other. God wants to build you up, but he chooses to build you up through others. This is what it says in Ephesians 4.16. 
From him, the whole body, the church in all its various parts, joined and knitted firmly together by what every joint supplies. When each part is working properly, causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. Now, you may look at that verse and say, when each part is working properly. (laughs) But how many of you guys know the answer to that is not to cut yourself off, go away by yourself, and isolate yourself? If you see a problem, be a part of the solution. But we are designed, the, the point is this, we were made to be fitted together. And when we remove ourselves from connection and community, the lies, the wrong mindsets, the wrong habits take on new life and new power and become much more difficult to get free from. And so the antidote to this is extremely simple. If you are not connected, if you are isolated, get connected. It's not rocket science. Get connected. Well, I've tried to get connected, and it's just everybody seems so busy. Keep trying. If you understood how important this was, you would never stop trying. Keep, you know, the Bible says, he who has friends shows himself friendly. Well, I'm, no, some people are extroverts, some people are introverts, I'm an introvert, and so that's my reason why I don't have friends. No, you need friends, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. All that means is it may be easier for some people, and it may be more challenging for other people, but it doesn't change the fact that we all need it. Make friends, reach out to people, get in a group. We have groups, and if, if you, listen, if you try, well, I tried to get into a real-life group, and they just don't have them on the nights that I need, and they're full. If you have trouble getting into a real-life group, you go to our website. This is a little side tip here. There is a link you can click that says, I want to join a group. Click that link, and we will help you because we want you to be connected because we know how important it is, because we have seen again and again and again and again, how people that are not connected have a hard road to walk. And that shouldn't be the case for you. So isolation is not good. And if you are isolated, you need to connect. Now, let me say this to any of you who have been sitting here and you're like, good message, Pastor Aaron, none of that applies to me. I'm healthy. I don't believe any lies. I'm not in any prison. I don't have any wrong mindsets, and I'm not isolated. Hooray. (laughs) Praise God. I'm I'm happy for that, but I'm going to give you a challenge right now. If you see somebody who has been isolated or has withdrawn or is starting to disconnect themselves, I want to challenge you. Reach out to that person. Reach out to that person. That's our job. If you observe that, if you see that in somebody's life, I wonder where so-and-so is. I haven't seen them. Reach out to them. Don't just stand there and watch them drift away. I believe that there's a grace period when someone starts to disconnect where it's not that hard to pull them back. But if you let that go too long, it becomes very difficult. And so if you are in a good, strong, healthy place and you see somebody that is not, reach out. That's part of being the body of Christ. Okay, so we've looked at what it might be like if you are a prisoner, if you need freedom in your life. And and hopefully you have maybe been able to identify some areas that need freedom and liberty. We've looked at the things that keep you captive. And what I want to do right now as we start to head in for a close here is I want to look at what it takes to be free. And so I want to ask the band to come back up. Because we're going to do something at the end. We're going to sing a song. We always sing a song at the end. But today, I want this song to be a spiritual declaration of freedom. And I want it to mean something powerful in your life. You know... We can see this physical world with our physical eyes. And you guys know, however, 
that there is a spiritual world that our physical eyes are not able to perceive. And the Bible says very clearly that when we speak words in faith, it has an effect on that unseen spiritual world. It literally has an effect and an impact on it. So we're going to speak words in faith today. We're going to sing words in faith today. And I believe it's going to break chains in people's lives. Is that a good thing? Amen. So what are the keys to your freedom? First of all, the first simple step is to simply believe and accept the truth that God wants you free. Now, that sounds like the most obvious thing that I could say, right? But trust me, there are many people who look at their predicament and look at their situation and they'll have an answer to it that says something like this. Well, it must be God. I don't know what he's doing, but whatever it is, it must be good. God's in control. Everything happens for a reason. Let me tell you this. If you are in bondage, we don't discover the will of God by sitting still and observing things that happen around us and then saying, God did that. We discover the will of God by opening up his word and reading what it says. And here's the thing. If what you read in his word looks different than what you see happening around you, then what you see happening around you is not the will of God. Now God is in control and God is all powerful. I believe that. But God carries out his will through his people. And we are a part of what makes God's will happen on the earth. That's why Jesus said to pray every day, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We have a part to play in that. So I'm saying that to say the first and most simple step is to simply believe and accept the fact that Jesus wants you free. When you believe that, when you latch onto that in your heart, You've taken the first step out of your jail cell. And so here are three quick things, I mean really quick, that you're going to do to get free. Number one, you're going to step out in faith, not in feelings. Not feeling free is the reason why many people are not getting free. You may have been locked up in some area of your thinking or habit or listening to a lie for so long that you may not immediately feel free. It doesn't matter if you feel free or not. You step out in faith, you walk out of that door. That's what the Bible says to do. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we know these things are true by believing, not by seeing. And so we are going to step out in faith whether we feel free or not. Number two, we've got to recognize, expose, and cancel lies. Recognize, expose, and cancel lies. When the Holy Spirit reveals an active lie in your life, it's your job to recognize it and renounce it. It's your job to recognize it and renounce it. He will come and break your chains. You know, the, the, the anointing, the Bible says that the anointing breaks the yoke. That's just a fancy Bible way of saying that the Holy Spirit will set you free, will break your chains. But you have to step up and step out of that place. Recognize and renounce and cancel those lies. Uh, God made this extremely abundantly simple and easy. Well, he made it simple. It may not be easy. But he did make it simple. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you may, I told you just a second ago that we speak words of faith and things happen. You may make a statement. Let's say you're that person that believes nobody likes me uh, at church, okay? Hypothetically. It may look something like this. I have believed the lie 
that, fill in the blank, nobody likes me at church. I recognize that as a lie and I do not believe it. I submit myself to God right now and I resist the devil and his influence and he must flee. You might say, well, those are just words. No, they're not just words. When you say those words in faith, something happens in that area where you have been held captive. The last thing you're gonna do, if this applies to you, is you are going to put away your idols. Put away your idols. Now, I hope you guys all understand in the day and age where we live, obviously, <laughs> I am not talking about some gold statue that's in your living room where you burn incense and bow down and worship a statue. That's not what I mean, and that's not what this, uh, this key is talking about. That's not the context. An idol in your life is anything that's not submitted and surrendered to Jesus. It's that simple. It's anything in your life that is not surrendered to Jesus. It could be your time, it could be your money, it could be your job, it could be your ministry. But if it's not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, it occupies a place in your heart that does not belong to Jesus. And let me tell you this, if there is a place in your heart that does not belong to Jesus, it is fair game to come into bondage. So you have to be totally surrendered. An idol is an invitation to be enslaved. For most of us, that's going to be something good in our life. I mean, I realize that for most people hearing this message, it's not like I'm talking about a cocaine addiction or something. It's something good. It, here's what it was for me. I told you this, that this whole message uh, is personal for me. And I've shared this before in a different message, so I'm not gonna go into the big long story. <clears throat> but there was, a, there was a very strategic, important time in my life where I knew that God had called me to do something without any doubt. And yet nothing was happening. So you got to imagine, God put this strong pull on my heart to do the just this holy pressure. I want you to do this thing. And then I'm looking around and no doors are opened, nothing's happened, nothing's moving, and it's just eating me up inside. And <clears throat> I got so frustrated that I went and checked myself into a hotel room with my Bible and a journal, and I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and prayed. you know, basically taking heaven by storm and all this kind of stuff and just nothing, you know, I don't hear anything from God. And when I got to the point of just total utter frustration and I'm almost yelling and complaining, I said, God, I've given you everything in my life. And he instantly showed me, you have not given me everything. And he just showed me a picture of my family, of my wife and my kids. What could be better than your wife and your kids, right? What could be more pure and good than your wife and your kids? Only one thing, Jesus. And in that moment, not only did God show it to me, my heart saw it, I fell immediately to my knees. I repented and I said, you're right, God. I have made them an idol in my life. There's a part of my heart that they owned that you did not own. And in that moment, I gave them to God and the doors that needed to open, opened. But I had to surrender that idol to God. It sounds weird to have something as good and pure and right as your spouse and your kids to be something that's holding you captive. But when it wasn't arranged in the right priority, it did. It did. So we put away our idols and we experience freedom. Freedom happens two ways, okay? And we're heading into this point here where we're gonna do something about it. Freedom happens two ways. It happens instantaneously. This is by an intentional decision that you make. 
and it happens over time through a process, okay? Now, the instantaneous is where we pray, we break these chains, and we step out. The process is where we walk in freedom and we stay free. And what I want to do is uh, I, I want to take that step right now. And so let's go ahead and stand up. And I want to pray over you. I want to pray with you. And I just believe that for some of you in this room, that the Holy Spirit has been speaking with you and dealing with you uh, throughout this whole service. Um, we had some really dramatic things happen last night um, of people getting free. And I just believe it's a God thing right now. And so I want us to pray. And then we're going to sing a song and we're going to declare in faith our freedom. Father, right now, Lord, as you have been moving by your spirit in this room, I pray, God, that you would reveal to every person in here who, who needs this any area of their life where they have been believing a lie, where they have been actively in a wrong mindset, a wrong habit, Maybe it's something they've tried to get free from and they feel themselves drawn back again and again. Anyone who has been isolating themselves or thinking about withdrawing and isolating themselves, I pray that you would reveal what's going on. Lord, we pray right now that you would just drag out into the light anything that the enemy has been doing in these people's lives right now in Jesus' name. I pray you would expose those things. And Lord, we recognize right now that you have set us free, that it is your, your will and your desire for us to be free. It's our heritage. It's already been purchased. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And Lord, you said that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not return to a yoke of bondage or enslavement. And so freedom is ours. And so right now, we take a look at that thing, that thing that has been holding us captive. And in the name of Jesus, we declare we are free in Jesus' name. That is who we are. That is our identity. That is our situation. That is our circumstance. We are free. We are not in bondage. And so we break those chains in the name of Jesus. We come against anything that has tried to enslave us or hold us in bondage. And in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus, we break those chains right now in Jesus' name. We renounce that lie. We say, yes, I have believed a lie, but I recognize it as a lie. I choose to not believe it anymore. And in the name of Jesus, I am free of that lie and the effect of that lie in my life in Jesus' name. And God, right now, as we sing, let our words be a faith declaration that rattles the cages that have tried to hold us in. Lord, let these words be powerful words of faith that break chains and set people free. In Jesus' name, amen.